I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Hi. Um, so I think we agreed that we'd start with a, a nice little reading yeah. from Fernando. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I'm um, very nervous because... I feel like I'm going to shatter um, Shakespeare language. <laughs> but remember that I wrote it in Spanish, and I, I'm going to... Uh, maybe I should give a little context about this uh, fragment. I, I chose a fragment at the beginning of the book. It's, uh, it's uh, a scene where a, a Mexican birthday party is happening, a piñata, and you can um, see what's... Uh, the inner uh, world of Polo, the, the gardener of this um, uh, residential complex uh, that's called Paradise, and he's the gardener. He, he becomes friends with a boy who lives there, um, and um, this is just the moment before this sort of friendship uh, begins. That's why he'd been about to jack it all in that Saturday. Not just because he's He'd been made to stay until the end of that brag Mickey's party to clean off the filthy dregs, but because of something that had happened to him earlier that day, hours before the piñata were brought out. When Polo was by the pool, clearing leaves from the water surface with the net, lost in a world of his own, as a whole squad of catering company staff darted back and forth across the garden setting up tables and chairs and gazebos, and even a long, colorful tarp, which, when plugged into a pump, transformed into an imposing, bouncy castle, a formidable thing with towers and battlements and flags and chutes, and even a drawbridge, a colossal, gel-volatile, ethereal structure that took off each time the breeze blew in from the river, as if it wanted to escape. And Polo was so entertained watching the staff struggle to pin down the castle with straps and pegs that he didn't notice Senora Mariana appear until, until he smelled her perfume in the air. At which point, he turned around to find her standing right in front of him, her body just inches from his, her lips blood red like a vampire's, and her face blushing, missing the trademark sunglasses that instead were hanging from a 
thin gold chain between her teeth. She was wearing jeans and had something in her hands, a small manila envelope that she held out to Polo without a word, stretching her shameless smile even wider when she saw that the boy couldn't take it because he was holding the long pole skimmer in both hands and eventually slipping to the front pocket of his overalls herself with a giggle and for your trouble, muttered with false modesty before turning around and sashaying off to oversee the work of her newly acquired maid, a mousy, emaciated looking girl who in, in that very moment was clumsily throwing herself into the task of decorating the party chairs with covers and bows. Polo had the feeling he knew her, that he'd seen her before, at school maybe, but he didn't dare look for long. He didn't want his employer to think he was looking at her. So he went back to the business of cleaning the pool, feigning in composture and resist, resisting the urge to put his hand on his overall pocket and touch the envelope to gauge what was inside, at least until lunchtime came around, at which point he could lock himself inside the security hut's tiny toilet, take out the envelope with his name written on one side in glittery purple felt-tip pen, and gaze at the two 200 peso banknotes contained with it, within it, both crisp, crisp and pressed as if fresh from the cash machine. The overtime, plus tip, which the idiot Urquiza always cheated him out of and which Polo moaned about every time he was made to stay late to clean the mess left, left over from the parties. A nice cash injection, totally unexpected, and he wouldn't have to tell his mother about it either. He could spend every peso on whatever the hell he liked. Cigarettes, obviously, a couple of bottles of Bacardi, and if it stretched to that, some phone credit, so he could text Milton to tell him to get in touch. But even as, as he made plans in his head, excited by the prospect of spending his sudden windfall, he felt an aching in his chest, and moments later he was doubled over the toilet, regurgitating bile in violent, spluttering spasm, and all for having remembered the look on that bitch's face as she slipped the envelope into his overall pocket and the smile that Polo, like some kind of chump, had been obliged to return against his will, unable to stop the muscle on his face from contracting, even though he despised that slot's air and graces and the barefacedness with which she touched him. Because, frankly, it was a hundred times easier to resist the urge to check out her ass when she was jogging around the development in hot pants than to overcome the impulse to return one of Senora's Marianne's smiles. She was that magnetic, that enticing, and they'd instantly know what he was talking about if they'd met her in person and experienced firsthand her powers of seduction. Why the hell hadn't he handed the envelope straight back and told her with every ounce of disdain he could muster? I don't need your handouts, thank you very much. Why hadn't he thrown it back in her face and let her know what he thought of her? that she was nothing but a whore, a gold digger who thought that going around handing out her husband's spare change somehow made her more respectable? And why the hell hadn't she just handed him the money like a normal person? Was she afraid Polo would make her, make her dirty, that he infected her with his poor, he waste? 
Did the bitch really think she could buy him, that she bought the right to demand whatever she wanted of him, to humiliate him like Urquiza, to make him wash her white SUV or her husband's sport car? Who the fuck did she think she was? The fucking queen bee, judging by her outfit that afternoon, when the party began right on time and she appeared wearing a red dress with blue and green polka dots on it and diamond earrings that glinted whenever she flicked her brown hair from her neck. All afternoon, Polo did what his best to ignore her, but it was as if an invisible force kept putting her in his path. Wherever he turned, there she was, lavishing kisses and hugs on the oars of little boys and girls running around in swim swimsuits and on the woman dressed head to toe in tropical prints as svelte and heavily made up as the hostess herself, their hair straight and inert, as neat, as lifeless as wigs, and their husband just as ridiculous in their pink polos and pastel shirts, ankle grazers and brown loafers, with golf tans and perfectly groomed birds and eyebrows, a clique of pampos, voices, and clinkling ice cubes gathering around that smoke smug, short-ass Maroño, who spent the entire party taking photos and talking politics and business in the puff of lingo of professional cocksucker to a funning audience who knocked back glass after glass of imported whiskey, not even pausing to cop a look at the hostess suite behind, all while their offspring screeched and launched themselves at the juddering bouncy castle walls like raving lunatics and did running cannonballs into the pool shrieking with suicidal glee yet barely audible over the music blaring from the mountain poolside speakers. Hi. <laughs> Very impressive. <laughs> um, Fernanda, I listened to a podcast with you, and now I'm going to ask you about lots of things you said, which is very alarming. <laughs> You're like, I think you said, but I, you kind of said firstly about writing Hurricane Season, which is that you wanted to write a, a non-fiction book initially, like a In Cold Blood kind of thing, um, and then obviously it turned into fiction. Um, but where did the idea from parody for parodies come from, or...? Ah, uh, that's, um, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting question, and I, 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 the fun thing about um, uh, answering questions like this is that it gives me an opportunity to lie better <laughs> this time. So, you know how it is, one writes a book, one has an intention in mind, and at the end, when the questions come, you have to think quick and, yeah. and, and just try to, to give a, a, a discourse about it. And, and with Paradise, what happened was that, um, um, well, the, the real story behind it is that I, I, with, with Hurricane Season, I just felt um, it was a huge success in Mexico and, and elsewhere, too. It, it, it is a book that I feel so happy to, to that, I, that I wrote, but at the same time, it took so much from me, like mentally and, and physically and emotionally. And uh, it was a... Uh, um, a, a very strange experience of a book to write, and after, in the aftermath, uh, after when I was thinking about the book, I I always got the sense that I did a very strong uh, parallelism between poverty and violence, and that mm -hmm. made me awkward. Like 
I everybody concentrated like on the social aspects of the book, like saying, "Look, this is what Mexico is. Like, this is what Mexico is about." And it is true that it is, it is about Mexico and it is about Veracruz, my 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 region, but it's also a metaphor of um, um, feeling trapped in a relationship mm -hmm. or in a family or somewhere that you cannot escape mm -hmm. from and, and you want to desperately look for, for another way, uh, for a way out and you cannot. And I, I, and I use poverty, like material poverty, to talk about the spiritual poverty and to talk about um, uh, moral indigency. Like what are the extremes where people go when they have been been abused. Yeah. So at the end, part of the, uh, Hurricane Season was a book about suffering is is like a like a like a uh, like a circle that repeats itself. You just suffer, and then you make other people suffer, mm -hmm. and you make yourself suffer, and it's a continuous vicious cycle. Cycle. So I thought that maybe the metaphor of poverty had gone too far away and, and I just felt awkward and that I was saying that poor people are violent or, or that it could be read like that. Yeah. And I decided that I wanted to talk because that's another thing that you discover that you write a book and then you realize that there are some things that you still want to talk about it. And mm. and I still wanted to talk about misogynia and machismo and 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 uh, this moral misery, and I still wanted to talk about violence, and I still wanted to talk about Veracruz. So I decided that I needed to write a story in which violence was not tied to social class, or it was tied to several social classes, and this is a little bit how Paradise uh, was born. But this is like the rationalization behind it, but in fact, what 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 uh, made the, the like the explosion that that made me think about this book was that the the story in hurricane season happens uh, the the main scenery is a little town called La Matosa um, it's it's uh, fictional it doesn't exist in, in in Veracruz but there is a place called La Matosa and I really love the name because in Spanish it gives an idea of something filled with vegetation with, with savage you know like like uh, uh, green and 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 tropical and La Matosa is like this place with, with when, where the grass grows and, and, and it becomes even uh, monstrous and I really like the name but there is a small town that existed that's called La Matosa. It used to be called La Matosa. It was a very a small, um, it's not even a town. I mean it was a community of uh, 200 um, uh, people who lived mostly by, they were fishermen in a, in a, in a lake mm -hmm. in, in Veracruz and um, I, a friend told me, uh, you know the name La Matosa, the real, the real town doesn't exist anymore. The real community doesn't exist anymore because they built a, um, a residency complex with a golf course in it. So they, uh, they, they bought the lands, they uh, desalojaron, I don't know, they, they, they uh, displaced, they, they evicted uh, all the original population and they built this super expensive uh, house complex with a golf course and pool and tennis courts. And mm -hmm. I mean, and, and when he told me that, I suddenly Paradise was born. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and I've been experimenting, uh, watching a lot of these gated communities mm -hmm. growing up in Mexico. Sometimes they, don't, they are not even um, like luxurious. They, they can be like middle class gated communities, but the rise of violence in Mexico, um, not only narco related violence, you know, like, like gang violence, but I'm, I'm talking about like common crime mm. because of the uh, 
economic crisis, uh, uh, um, regular crime has um, has, ri has risen, and um, people has this fantasy that if they put um, you know like walls and and buy wire fence and guards and cameras, yeah, yeah. they will be protected and violence will be kept outside like mm -hmm. like uh, some barbaric uh, influence that they will shut themselves uh, away from that. And I wanted to talk. Uh, I wanted to write a story that talk about. What happens with violence is not something that you can protect yourself because it's inside your mm -hmm. community because it's part of uh, some of, of your member, uh, the members of this community. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No, I could definitely, and it's such a great setting for a novel. Um, I was thinking like a lot of the kind of reviews do focus on the poverty and on the violence, but your writing of your characters, you never kind of, you never, you're always writing click, click never above them you're always like quite close to them even if they are violent even if they are you know certain yes. their actions are despicable how do you how do you approach that i i i i always i don't know um it was very organic since the beginning since i be, since when i began writing like short stories when i was a teenager i've always liked to be close to my characters mm -hmm. and my first novel falsa liebre who's about to be republished in, in spanish it's also uh very close to the characters, not not like this immersive closeness mm. that has hurricane season and paradise, but it is true that I'm I like to depict the world in which the characters live using the same words and using the same expressions that the characters would normally use, and um, I think that's something that uh, it's an influence from the Latin American boom. Uh, there's uh, lots of writers that I grew up uh, reading, like Garcia Marquez, of course, or uh, um, um, Jose Donoso, or Manuel Puig, that really, uh, really learn and, and show me how to use this third voice, but that's inside the characters. Like um, the in Spanish, it's el narrador equisiente. Like it's not omnisciente, it's not omniscient. I don't know. I don't know if that even a word in, in English. I'm sorry. Um, it's not like like the like the Dostoevsky or Tolstoy uh, narrator, like classic one that is like the voice of God yeah. who sees everything from above. Dickens okay. is a little bit like yeah. that too. Like the classic novelist Balzac and mm -hmm. Flaubert will do that. They will look from a from a cloud and and they will um, uh, look to the characters and and and, and know everything uh, of with them. But I, I prefer to use another type of narrator that goes inside the characters who can let us feel what the character feels and and for me it's uh, for me it's the only it's the only way i found interesting to to talk about the characters but of course there are differences in paradise i really wanted to be like really close to polo because in fact this novel is about is like the mental trip of this young person who just did something horrible and is just trying to think what he's going to say to whoever asked him about what just happened. Mm -hmm. So it's like a mental journey. And, um, but at the same time, I really wanted to show other things. I mean, I wanted to uh, emulate um, extreme act of empathy, like really know how to, it is the life of Polo, how uh, Polo lives, sleeps, uh, eats, uh, have sex and and how he does everything in his life like from real close, but at the same time I have to keep a distance mm -hmm. uh, because what I really want to show in Paradise is that sometimes violence 
is not only the pro the product of misery, of of poverty sometimes, or of um, this moral indigency that doesn't have anything to do with class, but with uh, abuse and 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 solitude and desperation and this dark side of that everybody uh, we have, but how this uh, how crime and violent acts have have something sometimes there are senseless sometimes violent act can happen because two stupid boys decided that they wanted to do uh, something yeah, yeah. and and I needed to create a certain distance mm -hmm. and that's why the language is sometimes close to Polo sometimes it uses uses words that Polo will never use himself to describe his reality but I needed to create that distance mm -hmm. uh, uh, with the language too yeah no no I definitely yeah I understand what you mean but in like how would I phrase this? <laughs> um, I, in several of the reviews, people are like refer to the two boys kind of as incels or the idea of like toxic masculinity. Are these like ideas that you would ever think of when you're when you're writing your books, or are they just does it arise naturally? I think you're uh -huh. very generous like to these characters in the sense that I still have sympathy for them uh -huh. when I read it, um, <laughs> which is an extremely difficult thing. To pull off. It is extremely difficult thing because they are in fact too. They are not very. They are the repulsive characters. <laughs> they are. They are not. Um, but I don't know. But I grew up with people like that. Sometimes I mean, we all know a Franco, no? Yeah. I mean, Apollo. Um, I'm nodding enthusiastically. Of course. <laughs> like, yes, I, I did too. <laughs> I mean, um, I even date them. I mean, <laughs> I, I, um, I, I think. Um, Sometimes I get asked a lot, like um, not 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 a not an interesting question like you did, but uh, sometimes I get asked, for example, like you are a woman, so how do you do to uh, be inside the, the the mind of uh, male characters who are like, you know, like mm -hmm. like like mm, chauvinistic and misogynistic and homophobic mm -hmm. and and repulsive and and and. I think that I, I grew up with these discourses. I mean, I, I grew up in a certain way with Franco and Polo. I grew up hearing these things. And I, at certain ex uh, 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 at, at certain point, I, I will say that I also um, believe in those things to a certain degree growing up. I mean, I was born in, in, in 82. So I grew up in the 90s and the 2000s, and toxic culture was a reality. I mean, I grew up reading Cosmopolitan, uh, uh, giving given us uh, advice on how to fake orgasm to, to please men. Like, I mean, uh, that kind of culture was, uh, everything was about guys. Everything was about men. And I grew up with that. And I had to deconstruct myself growing up. And I think everything changed for me when I became a... a a stepmother. Mm -hmm. I, I I had a partner who had a six-year-old daughter, and I raised her from six to twelve. And I realized that I grew up at that age. Me, when I was a child, I hated being a woman. I I, I thought it was so unfair. I didn't have any role models, interesting role models. I just think I was a second-class citizen. Everything around the co my culture told me that. Being a woman wasn't that interesting, mm -hmm. and I hated that, and yeah. I didn't want Hannah to feel like that. So I start to challenge these things. And I think the result of that challenge for me is writing. I mean, I'm not much of a, uh, of a critic or, or much of an essay uh, uh, a writer. I, I don't really, conference uh, speech are not really my thing. I When I have an idea and when I, or when I, when I worry about something, when I'm when I fear something, when I 
when something doesn't let me sleep, I write, I write a novel about mm -hmm. it. So, of course, yeah. all these things were in my head. Even thought I couldn't put a name before, like, like patriarchy or, or, mm -hmm. or, or, um, or, or misogyny, right? And I, I just wanted to show how... Uh, sometimes they ask me, like, why I'm so interested in masculinity. And it's 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 like the opposite of that question when when the, that cliche that the feminine nature is like mysterious <laughs> and 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 we never know what women want, <laughs> but we never know what men want. Like we are all mystery. Yeah, you know, exactly, like yeah. what's behind uh, uh, machismo? I think it was Simone de Beauvoir who said that there's always a mystery behind violence against women. Mm -hmm. Like why? Like like why are we? Why we insist so much in controlling women? What is this power that women have that need to be tamed, like uh, repeatedly ac uh, 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 across all civilizations? Like yeah. why? And and I think my answer, or or more questions, uh, uh, are posed in this in this novel. Oh yeah, definitely questions, mm -hmm. and you can really see it in your, his his obsession with mm -hmm. Ma Marianne, that woman. Like I, I feel you write it so well because I. He's not even obsessed with her, you know. He's uh, he's obsessed with this idea of her, and it's sort of like he wants to punish her. I think you write male sexuality so well because it's they like it's from an onslaught of images. Even they're confused by it. Even it's it's horrible to them. I'm thinking of the boys in hurricane season as well. So I think you're very uh -huh. generous um, in how you do it. <laughs> it's quite impressive. <laughs> I thank you, thank you. Um, I um, I just. I just think uh, sometimes I think that what we think about masculine or feminine is in fact universal. Mm -hmm. Like uh, as women, we're not, or we've been not allowed for many, many years and decades to speak about sexuality. Um, so sometimes in in the culture, there's, there's this idea that female sexuality is more uh, tame, and 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 um, I don't know, like. Uh, but women, we watch porn too, and we have fantasies. And desire in 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 women, it's also really. I mean, there is there is human desire, mm -hmm. and desire doesn't have any any reins. I mean, desire it can be really dark. Yeah. It can go to places that we don't want to go, and it go it will go there. And sometimes we feel like we cannot um, uh, 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 hold it back. And uh, uh, sometimes desire, sexual desire, but erotic desires are are, are made out of nightmares too. It, it can it can scare uh, scare us, and it can be violent. And I, I really wanted to talk about it. And for me, I just wanted to place myself into the mind and the body of two uh, growing uh, teenagers who are very different, but mm -hmm. at the same, they are very much alike. Mm -hmm. I mean, Franco is the one who's obsessed with Senora Marianne, um, who has this uh, wide range of fantasies uh, inspired by porn, uh, especially of, of what he wants to do uh, uh, with, with Senora Marianne when he, he can uh, grab her. and and. Uh, but at the same time, there's a, I, I tried to, to do it. Uh, there's a, also a vulnerable core inside yeah. him. Um, you can tell that what's like throbbing inside this desire is something more than sex. Mm -hmm. It has to do with feelings and it has to do with this terrible loneliness mm. of this of this guy who grows up uh, in a, with his, raised by his grandfather 
parents who doesn't they don't give a damn about mm -hmm. him at all. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, you have Polo, who apparently he's not even that interested in sex, apparently, mm -hmm. and who despises women uh, uh, equally. But you can see that in his despise, there's always a component of fear. It is not that he hates women, it's that he fears women. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's this symbol that I use, this metaphor of uh, the, the bloody contest. I don't even know the names yeah. of the characters <laughs> in English. The bloody contest yeah. uh, that is based on a local legend in Veracruz, but mm -hmm. also it's mixed with uh, Elizabeth Batori, for example. Um, and, and you have the legend of these powerful women in the colony that used to um, um, murder abuse, sexually abuse her slaves and then murder them. Mm -hmm. So for for Polo is this figure which in which he places all his anxieties against women. Mm -hmm. Like all the impotence he feels uh, in regard to his mother, who is very dominant, in regard to his cousin, who is very dominant and dominates him in ways that he cannot even understand. And Senora Marianne, who's also a, a dominant female figure in yeah. his life. So he... He, I, 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 I realize now that I, I always, I always, I always write at least in Paradise and, and in, in, in Hurricane Season. I always write about scapegoats, how how murder and and crime and violence ends up being something very difficult, different of mm -hmm. of the intention of what's being done. Mm -hmm. So I think for me it's it's for me it's it's interesting to 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 try to explore this this dark side. It does. This hidden side and more emotional side of 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 uh, of, of crime of, of violence. Yeah, mm -hmm. and why you want the things you do and why you desire the the things you do. Um, I've asked lots of questions about men. <laughs> I'm going to ask a question about women. Uh, you write very like women don't get off lightly in your book either. They're also aggressors, you know, m maybe more emotionally and and things. But I think you write that very well, and they often take it out in their children and. Can you talk a little, a little bit about? I, I, yes, I, I, I think. Um, I mean, this is my way of thinking about things, writing stories. So, so, I've been thinking a lot lately, from years on, uh, about uh, what what role do we women have in this reproduction of violence? And of course, um, there's also another stereotype that is. Uh, women are always uh, the victims. Yeah. And of course, uh, if we have to put a face on, on violence in general, it has a male face. Uh, statistically and, and uh, whatever you want to put it, uh, it is true that uh, uh, um, uh, um, it's, it's more common for women to be victims and to men to be aggressors. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, Violence and machismo and, and this misogyny also, do you, I mean, uh, talking about my own experience, like growing up and really believing, really believing these things and really uh, growing up to be competitive against other women or, or despising other women or, or, or considering women under the rule of men because that's how I grew up and how that's how I was raised mm -hmm. and trying to figure out why is that, like, mm -hmm. like why is so special in masculinity? Yeah. And also, I think that uh, growing up in a dysfunctional family where men and women were equally aggressive to each other, I mean, my mom and my dad, um, my mom and my dad are like awesome people, like I really love them, but they were not meant to be <laughs> together, like really, um, 
Uh, they they had the most difficult relationship. They were like dog and dogs and cats, like different species, and they decided to stick together for the sake of their children. But still, uh, th there was a lot of violence going on all the time. And I'm not talking. Uh, there was sometimes physical violence, but mostly there there was uh, psychological violence, like verbal abuse. Mm -hmm. And you grow up like that, and I think it makes you, for me, that happened that I see violence everywhere. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have to talk about Mexica, Mexican reality and femicide and, 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 and all the impunity and, 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 and crime that's going on in Mexico. But I, I, sometimes I do want to desperately cry and say, that happens to here. Like, mm -hmm. there's violence everywhere. Like, there's violence against women everywhere. And there's violence against... I mean, we have the war in Ukraine right mm -hmm. now, and, and it's, it's, it's horrible, and yeah. it's terrible, and it's everywhere. And it's not something that in Mexico we have it in our genes or, or in our genetic makeup. I don't know. Like, I, I, do, I discover it everywhere because I think I was very... I was familiarized when I was a child, and I can see it. And for me, it was very important to talk about how perfect victims don't exist. Yeah. And, and perfect aggressors, mm -hmm. that we are all humans. And I, what I like to do is, uh, I, I think I, I have the, uh, the inspiration of uh, Truman Capote, mm -hmm. uh, also for Hurricane Season, because mm -hmm. at first I wanted Hurricane Season to be a non-fiction novel. But then I think the, what, what Truman Capote does in Cold Blood, it's, it's amazing because he is brilliant. He, he manages to show us a character, a deeply disturbed character, who had suffered in life so much, and who did horrible things, but we never lose the human side, but also the horrible things that they do. We, mm -hmm. we get to see the whole person. And uh, for me, that's my direction. I, I want to do that. I want to be able to present the reader with human and disgusting characters as, as we are sometimes. We, are, we, we can all be like that. Yeah, of course. And yeah. uh, that's part of my yeah, program, yeah. I think. I, I, I've been doing that. And, and of course, sometimes Paris is a little bit different because it has humor in it. I, I think it's... It's a uh, well it's dark, it's dark, very dark funny. humor, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> it's I, I like humor that makes you like like laugh and then feel awkward yeah. about. <laughs> and, uh, and you guys have a really <laughs> a, a tradition here, of course, yeah. uh, 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 of that kind of humor. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, I'm going to ask you about, um, so when Adam Myers-Jones reviewed Hurricane Season in the London Review of Books, 
and he said, the institutes of church and state continue to fulfill their function, even if that function is almost purely oppressive. And there's just enough religious education to convince young people that they might be damned. Um, I have a special interest in this because I'm Irish. <laughs> and uh, I think we, a similar kind of situation, we had a lot of control from the church and a lot it of oppressive true. religion. And then when that left, there was just just nothing really to, to kind of fill that void. And I, I, I was raised in a, a Catholic family, but I, I'm, I'm almost no one goes to church, you know, like I, it's not really there anymore, but it's still in, in me. And it certainly still comes out in my, in my work. Um, do you find something something similar in in religion? I I, I guess I do. Uh, I, I in fact uh, in in Ireland you have that problem too with uh, abortion laws that it's terrible. We, we've we've done, we fixed that. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, just yeah. in time. Well, in Mexico we haven't been able, but but in Mexico yeah. we are a federal republic, so it's it's to each state to to approve, yeah. and some states have been had managed to approve it, but it's still not a, mm -hmm. a right that's granted it, all. Very recently in Ireland, it's it's very complicated, yeah. and uh, a lot of has to do with with uh, Catholic traditions mm -hmm. and Catholic uh, uh, right, uh, 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 like growing up being a Catholic. Yeah. But in Mexico, I think uh, religion still has a stronger uh, like grasp uh, in people. Mm -hmm. I, I think. Um, it's very peculiar because it's not. Um, um, I, I know uh, there's people who never go to church, but they will go each year to sing uh, "Happy Birthday to the to Virgin Mary to Virgin mm -hmm. Guadalupe" uh, uh, on December 12th, mm -hmm. and in Mexico. So, and you have this. Um, you have people who who are. I don't know, like delinquents who, who work on crime and they will go and each month are, ask for forgiveness mm -hmm. to the saints. And, and it, it's, it's more like in Italy, I think, too, like, like, like yeah, that, yeah. that you have, a, you have even uh, saints that are, that are specialized in, in, a, in, um, in um, tending to the spiritual needs of, of criminals in Mexico, like <laughs> Malverde or, or La Santísima Muerte. Have you seen images of... of of this uh, of this skeleton uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, with a cloak and I mean it's, it's it's impressive like a medieval image and and it's it's worship mm -hmm. in Mexico and it, it's really something that really stems out of uh, popular culture you mm -hmm. know like it, it, there is not it is not the Pope or the Cardinal saying you have to do this it's like it, it stems from from the from the people. And it is true that in Mexico we have a very traditionalistic uh, still views in lots of things, like in gender mm -hmm. and sexuality. Uh, uh, we are, uh, it, it's, it's, it's difficult, mm -hmm. uh, I can tell you. It's changing, slowly changing, but I think um, sometimes you feel like adva advances, like, like we, we can now uh, uh, have abortion in some parts mm -hmm. of Mexico or... You can you can legally marry if you with a partner of the same sex, yeah. but it feels like in any time that can you know like taken back mm -hmm. taken taken away it can it can be taken away, and uh, it's I think my books reflect that sort of um, uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like uh, I don't think the church appears in in paradise no. that much. Yeah, it's more in yeah. hurricane season. And it is more in in uh, in, uh, in the repressive education that the character Brando has received from his mother. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to show in that character is how, s for me, there is no worse nightmare than to than to um, live a life having to deny what are your most most deep 
desires. And, and Brando has, has that. He has to deny what he feels about other men. Mm -hmm. he, he really desires other men and he has to shut that desire. He has to contain desire, like suppress it. And viol he mm -hmm. turns to violence in, in his efforts mm -hmm. to deny himself. And, and he tries to explain what he feels by calling it he, like like this the influence of the devil he doesn't really believe that but he's been like programmed to believe that and i i just wanted to for me it's just one of these elements mm -hmm. and it is true that in veracruz uh religion is is uh it's 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 very contradictory because for some things it is not very present but for others it it is it mm -hmm. has still uh like morally it has still a, a strong grip in yeah. society and I think if you kind of hear these things from a young age or you read about, like, as I would have, it's in you. So, like, it, it, you've learned it already. So of when course. you sit down to write, it's it's all going to come out, all the, the shame and the <laughs> I, <laughs> whatever I always, else. I mean, <laughs> None of the good stuff. Of course, of course. I, I, always, I, always, I think I always write about, uh, uh, up until now, I've been concentrated in writing about teenage characters. Mm -hmm. Because for me, the, the, the adolescence is, is such a... It's such a special stage where you first become, f for the first time, you feel like a person. Mm -hmm. But still, you, you cannot go back to childhood, but you, it's like you're in front of a cliff and you see nothing in front of you. It, it's so scary to mm -hmm. be an adolescent. And it's such an interesting moment, like, like uh, dramatically, to start experiencing this existential angst. It's, it's the first time, uh, for me, it was, for, for example, the first time when I decided that I didn't believe in God and it was devastating for me. Yeah. And I think writing has a lot to do with that moment. I think I first started writing when I first said, no, I'm, I don't believe in this. This cannot be true. Like, I decided that I won't believe. And it was a very awkward stage because uh, uh, we, we've been going to, my, my, I come from a very Catholic family. We will go every Sunday to Mass. Mm -hmm. And my dad wouldn't, is not going to Mass. My dad will insist that we go and sit, sit in the front pew. Pew is called? Like yeah, yeah. In the yeah. front bench. Uh, because he know the, the, the priest from like, I think the priest baptized him. I mean, it's like a, like a long <laughs> tradition. And we have, I have an uncle who's a priest. Yeah. And um, so... I, when I decided that I c wouldn't believe, I decided that I couldn't fake it. So when everybody kneeled, I stayed standing <laughs> up in the front <laughs> room. And uh, my parents at first forced me to go to church when I didn't want to. And then they were so embarrassed that I did that, that they say, okay, you can stay home. And <laughs> That's so smart. <laughs> and I will stay home. And, and it, for me, it was like, first, like for the first time being alive, like mm -hmm. being a person, like having... Her time. I think I begin writing because I I I decided to not go to church anymore. Yeah, yeah. I just li <laughs> I just lied and said I went. And, uh, <laughs> my brother <laughs> would say that like, why don't you just fake it and make my my parents happy? And I said, no, I cannot fake it. Yeah. I I no, I cannot. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. do it. I feel like also sometimes when I'm writing, it's it's sort of like. Like I said, I feel like I've been in indoctrinated by some of this stuff, but like <laughs> it's a, giving yourself over to like a sort of kind of higher power as well. Writing, you know, it's a sort of Catholic idea that you would like give yourself up to something. Sometimes I think that the most spiritual thing that I do is writing yeah. because it connects you with something, with things that you don't even know, you haven't been able to name yet. It's it, it, it's also like um, I think it was Jung that said uh, the, the psychoanalyst, the psychoanalyst. 
He said that we're like islands, or we feel like we're islands, but there is something that connects us all. And, and when we write, mm -hmm. we connect ourselves to that telluric thing hidden underneath that we sometimes cannot name, but we try to do when, when we write. And it, it, uh, you, 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 when you write, sometimes uh, you connect in certain ways with readers because you connect beside words and, and ideas, you connect from that deep current and, and art is like that, I think. Uh, art is the most spiritual thing that I, that I don't know. Yeah, no, <laughs> I agree. Definitely the most spiritual thing I do. Um, <laughs> I just want to ask you about how your, how your books are written because they're written in this very kind of present kind of, yeah, moments of extremity is what I kind of, mm. I think you like moments of intensity. Um, and I, I was listening to an interview with you uh, where you're talking about well, and I feel it too, like for this generation, there's a lot of hopelessness, kind of, you, mm -hmm. you can't perceive a future. Is that why you feel, does your, your the, the form of your books kind of reflect that? They're, it, like, they're, they're almost written at speed, like a person like trying to get to, to say something before, you know, they're, they're stopped or... Yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm, I'm a very intense person. <laughs> so uh, I think that reflects in my writing. And I just found this way of uh, of, of writing that I, before hurricane season it was different. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was interested in, in going deep with the emotion of the characters. I was interested in showing things, um, all good and bad inside the characters. But this way of writing, like like so vertiginous and so like I don't even know the words in English, but like like dense mm -hmm. and 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 propelling like mm -hmm. like uh-huh uh i i just found it with hurricane season and i think that i thought that back then uh as i like to explain it i think that the subject matter and the things that i was talking about or willing to talk about what were so tough and and so difficult yeah. and emotionally draining that i knew that i needed uh very express uh, way of writing, like a very express way of reading even. So the reader could hung onto that, like, I don't know, like like the fairy's wheel, like, you know, like something that holds you into your seat. And I also think it's a reaction to, I mean, I, I, I grew up uh, not with social media, but from my early 20s, I, I will use social media and I've been also very, uh, experiencing uh, uh, distractions. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's very difficult for me to concentrate. I, I, I had to abandon social network, uh, social media, because I will be reading, and, and 15 minutes after, I will read something that excites me, and I will instantly want to tweet it. Or I will, I, I think about tweets. Yeah. Sometimes I will say, oh, I don't have, it's been three years, that I, two years that I don't have Twitter, and still I think <laughs> about tweets sometimes. Like, <laughs> man, I wish I could, yeah, like, oh, I have to, and yeah. and I think this is a way to you have to write like this in order to grab the attention of of readers that become each time more scarce. Like mm -hmm. attention yeah. is is such a such a treasure right now. And and I don't know. I, I I sometimes I think I explain it that way because it it makes sense for me. Like I and I love books that just grab me by mm -hmm. the neck and just. You know, like pull me in, 
I love that experience. Uh, and I write mostly novels because I, I like that feeling of, 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 of a journey that a novel gives you, right? Like, like a novel is not, very, not Paradise because it's very short, but Hurricane Season. The novels, think about the novels you like, and it's like going in a trip. Yeah. It's like going into a journey. Mm -hmm. And you spend several nights or several days with those characters and, and you get to know them. It's like a trip. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end, you get that impression. And But with Paradise, I wanted something different. With Paradise, I wanted it to be like a dream, yeah. like a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, like something that you just immerse yourself into it mm -hmm. and then you you go out like grasping from for for breath mm -hmm. that's what i really wanted with this novel yeah yeah i could it's very it's very movie-ish um, <laughs> uh that is another thing i want to ask you so the in the in your novels i think reality feels very real like ultra real and then fantasy also feels very real it, you know their fantasies also uh -huh. and that's why i think when they they don't escape their circumstances it, it, it's even more kind of heartbreaking um, your epigraph in this mm -hmm. is from David Lynch. Are you a fan of his work? I, I am. <laughs> I am David Lynch's granddaughter. <laughs> she said that like downstairs, and, and like I believed her. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I named myself to be it. No, no. I just, I just. Uh, David Lynch is such an inspiring uh, artist for me. I think I watched uh, Blue Velvet when I was like 15 and I, in Mexico, back then in Mexico, in Veracruz, in Veracruz especially, it was very hard to find this sort of uh, indie, uh, non-commercial films in the, I think I, at the end of the 90s. So I remember I, I went to, um, do you know the concept of tianguis? It's like a market, but it's like very informal one. Uh, and you go to the Tianguis, and there, there's a el Tianguis del Chopo. It's a it's a market, but it's um it's where you went to buy your goth uh, uh, outfit <laughs> or your skateboards, like like really <laughs> hypey and cool in the nineties. And there there will be this guy who did who sold piracy uh, VH tapes, VHS tapes. But it was a thing back mm -hmm. then because it was that or nothing. So. I will, I will, I don't know, once I went there when I was like 15 and I bought, uh, I think I, it was uh, a film by David Cronenberg, yeah. a film by David Lynch, and it was another one, let me remember. Um, I mean, there was things that I've been reading in magazines and couldn't find it anywhere. And I, I bought Blue Velvet in a, you know, like BHS mm -hmm. tape with a, Somebody felt it, wrote it, and 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 I was stunned, like yeah. like really mesmerized by this narrative, the the crudity of it all, but at the same time the surreal quality. I mean, I, I was just I mm -hmm. fell in love with David Lynch's work, and and um, I I follow him since since yeah. uh, from um, from then on, yeah. and and I think I still uh, do, I, I think. For our generation who grew up watching TV, film, and, mm. and it's part of our narrative, yeah. isn't it? It's like, I, it's, it's, the, it's the books that we've, we've read, but it's also the films that we've watched. And it's also the music we've heard. And <laughs> all the time, it it's okay? okay. <laughs> and all the time we are, um, for me, it's, it's also, it showed me also mm. a, a way to, to narrate. Yeah. And I think um, this... I'm trying to remember this the epigraph mm -hmm. um this 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 song is not in the films mm -hmm. it's in a 
in a really strange spectacle that David Lynch staged that's called the um, Industrial Symphony. Okay, yeah. It yeah, was like know. a spectacle, like a, north, like a live spectacle with um, a projection of mm -hmm. things and, and, and um, uh, Nicolas Cage doing weird things <laughs> on stage. And uh, it was in the wild heart, wild heart uh, time. time. Yeah. And I, uh, Julie Cruz is also a singer. It's yeah. If you YouTube it, uh, if you uh, search on YouTube, it's an amazing uh, uh, piece of song. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that the lyrics of that song was just about what I wanted to do. Yeah. I fell for you like a bomb, and now my heart is in flames. Uh, mm -hmm. I, and I really wanted to talk about how we talk about love and passion sometimes in a very romantic way, but uh, I think it was uh, psychoanalyst Andrew Green, French psychoanalyst Andrew Green, who said that, in fact, passion is, is a, it's, it's, it's madness. Yeah. When you are in love, you are crazy. You, mm -hmm. you, you lost your mind, you lose your mind. And I wanted to talk about what happened when, when a teenager thinks he loves somebody and, and lost his mind about this, this person. Yeah, and it goes kind of so far as well. Yeah, yeah, and... and I mean, uh, I haven't, I have, I haven't uh, get so far to do transcendent, transcendental meditation, <laughs> like Devin Lynch always trying yeah. to convince people to do it because I don't have a, I don't have patience to do <laughs> transcendent meditation. But I, I have found in his films some narrative forms that I think that are very interesting and and that talk about uh, humankind in a very powerful way. Yeah, mm -hmm. oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I, th I think we should... Questions, yes. I went 25 Microphone. minutes over. Um, <laughs> event I did recently. Sorry, so. I talked too much. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, there will also be questions from a cyber audience, although I haven't had any yet, so <laughs> you lot get a shoe in. Who's first? Thank you for that. Um, I was wondering, when you talk about Polo, he has this this rage and this anger. Um, when you you were talking about the writing experience briefly about it and sort of the intensity and your character into that, what what are you thinking and what are you feeling when you are sitting down to channel him? Ah. I, um, with... Let, let, I, I have to confess that with Polo wasn't so um, immersive as it was with Brando, for example, in Hurricane Season. They are very much alike. They are angry young men. And uh, coming, coming here, I, I, I always try to think like, like, uh, like local influences uh, into my writing because you never know who's going to ask you, who's your uh, uh, <laughs> like, like British uh, writer? <laughs> or, and... and um, and I, I just saw that uh, there was this new edition of Brighton Rock, Graham's Green Brighton Rock in, uh, in Spanish. And I just remembered that, of course, that Brando and Polo are a little bit like Pinky in Brighton Rock. And I, I really love that yeah. book and, and uh, uh, Graham's Green first novel, I think. And um, Polo wasn't that close to me, in fact. Brando, I lived inside Brando, and that was very much devastating. And especially because when I was writing Hurricane Season, before Brando, uh, it was always Norma. Mm -hmm. 
So being Norma, being this pregnant 13-year-old who, you know, is lost in the middle of all these strangers trying to understand what just happened to her and what she's going to do with her life is just, it was hopeful enough. And then I remember, I remember myself writing the draft, uh, the, the draft of Hurricane Season, working on the revising, and 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 I will always get the press after finishing with Norma. But the press is, is just not the word. I mean, I remember myself in the in the couch, like you know, echabobillo. I don't know how to say that in English. Like you know, like all uh, in in um, in a fetal position and crying my eyes out just feeling horrible and thinking, and now I have to do Brandle <laughs> after this, and I will cry even harder. And, and then I will just put myself into it. And, and I mean, it's something that you, I just have to do because they are all part of me and you pull out of yourself all this dark stuff. Of course, you, you magnify it. Of course, I'm not a guy. I, 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 I never raped anyone or being raped, for example, no? But I, I have an imagination, uh, a, a very tricky one, and I, I lend them all the feelings that I could manage. And that's why I ended up, uh, when I wrote Hurricane Season afterwards, I had to, to go to therapy because it really confronted me with a lot of feelings that I wasn't ready to, to express like clearly and see it. And then with Paradise, I think I learned the lesson or, or it, it, it was just different. In, in Hurricane Season, I wanted to say, look, there's misery in the world that reproduces itself all the time. And in Paradise, I just wanted to say, look, there's violence, but sometimes it's just done by horrible people mm -hmm. with no meaning at all. And, and with Polo, I needed to be able to mock him, to, 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 uh, uh, to mock his cowardice and his hypocrisy. And he thinks he's this big shot guy, you know, but in fact he's a scary little boy and I didn't went too down into him because I needed to feel this distance, but I do went in, inside enough to make him a, a character maybe not a compelling one, but at least a real one and a dense one so so it was pretty much like that with Paradise and Polo mm -hmm. Thank you <laughs> Um, your your work is uh, looking at um, the darker side of uh, Mexican life and um, uncovering maybe some uncomfortable truths and, and highlighting people on maybe the fringes of, of society. Um, so I'm just curious as to how it's seen in Mexico itself, um, how people have reacted to it. I'm curious about, about that. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you, Liz. Um, um, I think in, in Mexico, uh, the book is doing great. I mean, Hurricane Season, it just started like, a, I never expected anything from that book. I, I just, uh, it was my second novel. So in your second novel, you're always trying to like, I don't know, at least in my case, the first one is just you, you learn how to do a novel. And then in the second one, you want to put, uh, in Mexico, we say all the meat in the, in the in the barbecue uh, grill, you want to put it all like like everything. And um, I wanted to do this tour de force, so uh, uh, I I just 
condense everything that I learned from language, from the boom writers, and but all, also other writers that I admire. And, and I just really want to tell this story that was very local, but at the same time, I think it could be universal. Like to talk about the dark side of the human soul, it's always universal. We all have a dark side. And it was, it was amazing because I thought that maybe one critic will read it and do... I knew that it was a, a, a technical uh, feat and that it was a, 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 a dark, obscure uh, novel but with, with, uh, with many uh, virtues. And I thought that maybe one, uh, one or two critics will write something about it and it will be lost in the times and, and nobody will... And I will start writing another book and that will be it. And it began to be read by people, and now in Mexico it's being read normally by people who don't even are in literary circles. Like, uh, I'm not a commercial writer in the sense, uh, like, a, like a bestseller who sells millions, but I'm something in between. And it's very awkward for my publishing house in Mexico because they don't really know. It's, it's, it's something in the middle and it's been very surprising for everybody. And the reactions in Mexico is, Finally, somebody's talking uh, about what's truly happening in Mexico and with a language that everybody can understand. And, well, in Veracruz, some people will say, ah, she's just talking about gossip, like local gossip. Like, uh, like there's no merit about it. And I will say, okay, it's, 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 it's yeah, you know, it's their opinion. It, it, it can be like that. Uh, and other people will concentrate because I, I, I have a journalistic uh, background. Um, well, uh, I studied journalism. I did journalism, but I was a freelancer. I never worked for a newspaper or, or, or anything. But, um, but I, there are some people who like to see only the, 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 the social uh, side of, of hurricane season and, and not see at all the, all the, um, the, 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 uh, the, the artifice behind it. And because it's in, in Spanish, it's really South is Mexican lingo. It's, it's, it's very, uh, I, I, I just feel so grateful to have, uh, uh, to have a translator like Sophie who managed to create a language because I, I, that's what I did. It's, I, I created a language that is very similar to how people talk in the southeast of Mexico. And I think she managed to do that sort of things. I, I, always, uh, I, always, uh, I always felt surprised because when I was thinking about, when they told me they weren't going to translate it in English, I, I always thought they will be filled with motherfuckers, for example. <laughs> because Hijo de la Chingada translates very but, but, but Sophie is British, so she, she, she filled it with cunts. And um, <laughs> I mean, it's so nice. And, and she had to create also a language uh, 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 that is not exactly, you know, like the language here, but it's something in the middle. And you always do that when you, when you write. So, um, it, it, so I don't know, I think in Mexico many people think I'm a genius or many people think that I did nothing special, just put a recorder and, and just uh, transcribe what people talk in Mexico and, 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 and copy something that I read in the newspaper. So you will find anything like that. <laughs> uh, can we take one from cyberspace? Okay. Uh, Christabel asks, you mentioned Garcia Marquez. To what extent do you identify with the magic realism tradition in Latin American literature. I ask this because I get the impression that even more so in Paradise, the magic realism aspect is completely overpowered by violence and brutality. That, that's, that's, that's what's scary, right? Like um, in, in Mexico, sometimes when I, uh, I have a book of uh, nonfiction 
that's called This Is Not Miami. Um, and um, it's, um, I wrote stories about Veracruz, the stories that I've heard, the stories that I um, heard growing up, and then I researched, like journalistically researched, and, and to find the, the, the story behind it. And sometimes, I, I swear to you that I sometimes had to tone down reality so it can be um, a real life, like, like it, it can be verosimil, it can be like um, uh, believable. And uh, the thing in Mexico, uh, it, it is like that. Reality is, if, I mean, when we talk about, there are right now um, uh, associations of mothers and sisters and aunts and grandmothers who go and travel to deserted lands and they dig with their own hands uh, uh, in looking for mass graves and they discover the bones of their own children with their own hands, you will think it's like the, the craziest idea, but that happens in Mexico every day. And, and, and the things that we've seen in the last 15 years because of the war against drugs, uh, it, it, it's just crazy. It's like Dante's Inferno. And, and it's very hard to write fiction having those kind of things happening all around us all the time. And I, I do appreciate magical realism. Uh, now it's, it's, it's always difficult to talk about because it, 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 is, it is true that it is um, it's an etiqueta. It is a, a sort of a label that's been, it was imposed not by Latin American writers, but by uh, a Spanish one. So it, it was the way that we tried to understood what the, 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 the way to see of, of, of Garcia Marquez, the way they tried to create metaphors about social reality, poetic metaphors about this, for example, the dictatorship, no? And he created this, this, uh, this character of a, of a dictator that lived 120 years. And, and, and it was a metaphor, of, of course, of, of, uh, of, uh, of Fidel. Uh, and, and I mean, I just don't use that, that label. Uh, magical realism, but I understand where it comes, and I grew up uh, uh, reading, of course, uh, magical realism, and I just don't think I need it. I mean, uh, uh, um, I, I really been I, I've been very I've been concentrated in writing from realism, but it is true that I think Paradise is, is sort of a turning point because the thing that most of the things that happen here in this novel is, is mental stuff, it's yeah. fantasies. Yeah. And I, I want to start writing in a way that gives more space to fantasy life, to, to this sort of belief, uh, to, to, to things that are not precisely real. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I just had one question um, about the title, Paradise. And, um, you know, obviously there's a, a deep and pretty unsettling irony to it in the sense uh -huh. of what the book talks about. But I guess I wondered whether there's a sense in which you're also gesturing towards the, the biblical paradise and the ideas of temptation and the fall from grace and all of these themes. And at the same time, because of the way you spell it, uh, whether you're gesturing towards Mexico's relationship to the US, uh -huh. which is such a complex and interesting relationship as well, and whether you could say anything about that. Of course. Um, yeah, um, in fact, it, it, to, to um, really um, um, show the real pronunciation of paradise, it would have to be different, but I, I, with this title, I try to 
uh, mock a little bit how we Mexicans pronounce paradise, like with the open A. Um, and um, it's, uh, yes, of course, we have this scene where uh, Paul is signing his contract and he says, like, I'm going to work in, uh, in Paradise. That is the way that in Mexico we will pronounce that, that word. And, and the, uh, the administrator says, it's paradise. Say it well, please repeat it. No, the, yeah, okay. And um, for me, it's such an humiliating act, right? Like, and, and also, it's, I wanted to reflect this reality in which, I mean, Mexico, it's, it's a country that's been colonized not only by Spaniards in, in the colony, but also by, of course, American culture, uh, uh, North American culture. And for everything to be cool or expensive or uh, luxurious, it has to be in English. It's, I don't know if, it's, if it works here, but for example, in German, it has to be in French, mm. you know, like, or um, in Finland, it has to be in Swedish. Mm. You know, like, like, like shampoo is made in Sweden. Oh, <laughs> it's made in Sweden, right? Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know the particularities here, but we, also, we all have like this sort of relationship. And, and in Mexico, it's like that. We, uh, for something to be really cool and exclusive and expensive, it has to, be, has to have a name in English. Mm -hmm. And um, I just really wanted to mock that and to mock the idea that this perfect space, beautiful, uh, 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 heaven, paradise, in fact, it's, it's, it's invaded from within uh, of, uh, with evilness. And, and from the beginning, I knew, because th th there, is, there is this, uh, when I was a, a child, I spent much time in Tabasco. It's another state in Veracruz, in the southeast. And Villahermosa is the capital, and it's not in the, in the beach. You have to travel uh, two hours to, to, to go to, the, to see the sea. And there's this tiny city called Paraíso, and it's uh, for employees of the oil uh, petrol companies. So it's, it imitates like this uh, American uh, uh, United States villas and uh, Californian type of houses. And uh, some, some of them were like in ruins. It was a very strange place. Uh, uh, and I just thought about it when I thought about this gated community. So I just wanted to name it something like Paraíso. And, and I, I thought paradise, but I thought about Paraíso, Lesama Limas, uh, the, the, the Cuban writer, paradise, Paraíso too. So I, I, and sometimes I just, I just find out that it was the wrong spelling uh, uh, and mispronunciation uh, of, this, of this world. And, and then uh, you work. Uh, after I, I work to make the symbols more clearly, you know, this, this sort of Garden of Eden that gets constantly... Um, uh, invaded by uh, wild nature and, and or for example uh, the name of the character Milton uh, at first it wasn't that name it was something similar and I was looking for because it's very common in Veracruz that people get names like American like like mm -hmm. uh, not American but Anglo-Saxon names and I, I was thinking about and, and I know people who are called Milton in, in Mexico for example or, or, or Herbert or, or like names like that yeah really and um and I, when I give him that name, something like click, like, but this is like after writing the first draft, when you want to put it all close, knit it closer, like knit it more, more closer. Mm -hmm. Well, um, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Fernando will be very happy to sign copies of the book. Of course. If you yeah. rush forwards and um, have a chat there as well. And 
round of applause, I think. Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.